Hello everyone. Uh, welcome to a very special episode of Tech LDTM with myself Shashank and my co-host Amol and Preet. Today we have an amazing personality as our guest. He is an expert on China technology space. He has authored multiple books and he is one of the most sought after speakers on anything related to Chinese technology. And hello everyone. My name is Amol and um, I've been following Matt Brennan on Twitter for almost two years now. And I follow him on the Twitter for the insights of the China technology space. Recently, I read an amazing book, Attention Factory, written by him. Um, before reading this book, I thought I knew everything about the TikTok and the ByteDance space and the China space. But um, after reading his book, I realized that I only know 10% of that space. So super, super helpful book. Um, super excited to actually have him on the podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you, guys. Yeah. So, hey, Matt, uh, amazing to have you on this po uh, podcast. Love the book, by the way. But uh, to be honest here, yeah, Amol was the one who introduced me to your book. And he was very, very persistent until uh, I read it. And that actually <laughs> uh, kind of opened my eyes for sure. Like your perspective and the different things that you talk about in the book. More of that to come, but definitely an amazing, amazing job. And anything that I would be saying would be just echoing Shashank and Amol's uh, inter introduction about you. So uh, why don't you uh, tell us a few things about uh, what's going on? How's your journey been? Uh, just about, uh, let's start with just your background. Yeah, sure. Um, my background. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm, you know, originally I'm from London. Uh, I'm uh, British. And, uh, I went to China 16 years ago now, uh, straight out of university and uh, sort of Learn, um, stayed to, uh, I was only going to go for one year at the beginning and then uh, of course uh, 16 years later I'm still there but um, I originally came just to teach English and then I stayed to learn Chinese and then I stayed mm. to do uh, some entrepreneur, entrepreneurial ventures with some friends and we franchised an education chain and uh, set up some uh, schools, some education centers um, in places like Inner Mongolia and, and Sichuan province out in the west where nice. the earthquake was around that time. Uh, and then uh, later on, that education company uh, invited me into their head office to head up their, uh, firstly their brand, but then later I, I specialized in uh, educational, um, what, what we would now call ed tech, but yeah. back then we called it e-learning. So oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we didn't, we didn't call it ed tech. We call yeah. it e-learning. Yeah. And uh, so it, it was very, very early for this stuff in China. You know, this is before like VIP kid and, and uh, all that stuff. Like, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Th this is uh, very difficult to sell um, digital learning products to Chinese parents back in the day. Uh, but we, we did it. We pioneered it anyway. Um, and so I did that for about six years. And then when, uh, when WeChat basically broke out in China in 2015, with uh, WeChat Pay especially, I could see this was completely revolutionizing uh, China. And I was really blown away by the experience of using WeChat Pay and how everyone was uh, paying with their phones suddenly. And it was just a sweeping change. Uh, official accounts were coming hot. People were using WeChat for marketing. And, and so we jump, jumped into that area. I set up my own company and uh, that's still running today. That's um, China Channel, which is based in Shanghai. And yeah. uh, I got, we, we do several things, but a lot of people know us from our annual conference, which was quite successful that we did every year. 
to bring together the ecosystem of uh, digital marketers, brands, agencies, and the Tencent comes along as well. And uh, we all sort of like once a year get together for two days. Uh, that's that's you know uh, been a really fantastic uh, experience doing that for so many years. Um, also, awesome. you know, yeah. And then when 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 TikTok broke out, uh, well, <laughs> when Douyin broke out, was I started yeah. using the products there. And because I was covering Tencent so much, uh, you know, as Emma said, like um, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, I've been putting out content for years. Um, people know me for consistently talking about Tencent. Um, but I found that ByteDance was becoming the most important competitor with Tencent. So I had to know about ByteDance and I got into ByteDance. I had several friends working at ByteDance and I could see this. I really believed in Douyin as a product. And, uh, and I just got into it from there. And that's where the book comes from, just from uh, uh, researching them more and more and then just realizing there's a fantastic company and a fantastic story here. Uh, when I started writing the book is in January. And to be honest, like I was very confident about TikTok and TikTok was big, but it was, it, it, you know, the, yeah. the uptick in interest in TikTok globally <laughs> in that time was just, unbelievable uh, I didn't expect anything to happen in India I didn't expect anything to happen with Trump and all of this stuff broke out and TikTok just became this global of course uh, the virus happened COVID-19 and that sort of kept everyone indoors and that really helped TikTok as well with growing their user numbers so all of this you know in the nine months it just everything changed completely and I found that uh, by the end of it I'm sort of like TikTok yeah. is this global hit yeah exactly but it, it wasn't it wasn't obvious that it was going to be like that you know even even a year ago i think it was still uh doing good but you know a lot of people weren't you know weren't entirely confident in it to be honest do you have a, a handle on uh dorian are you making some of those viral videos right uh no i've <laughs> to be honest uh i would yeah. you know what like um I need to get back to the UK. Uh, since COVID, I haven't had a chance to go back. But um, there's, I don't know if you guys know, but like there's a region lock on, on TikTok. Yeah, right? yeah. So um, if you don't, if you're not using a UK phone with a UK SIM card and you're not in that, in that language region pool of, of uh, UK, US, Canada, et cetera, then you start creating content in another part of the world in, in English, it's going to be really tough for you to actually mm -hmm. grow that account doing what I would be doing, which should be like a, a sort of short video version of what I do on other platforms. Uh, yeah. I think there is a place for that. I think it's ready for that kind of content for sure. It's not, it's no, it's gone far, far beyond just comedy and, and lip sync and, and the, you know, even like, uh, the demographics on the platform have changed very considerably, right? So I think there's enough people yeah. on there where you can grow an account talking about that and, and covering it. And on Douyin, we see that uh, there are case studies. So I am interested in doing it, but uh, the what's holding me back is I need to get back to the UK and grow the account there for a bit and then, and then take it away. Uh, and then on TikTok, sorry, on Douyin in China, there's tons of foreigners doing that. Uh, growing, you know, it's... <laughs> What, what was interesting about Douyin in the early days in 2018, when it really broke out in China, was that it was the first Chinese platform that Western non-Chinese, not just Western, it could be Russian, it could be uh, you know uh, Asian, whatever, uh, non-Chinese um, 
people were fully embraced it and were very successful on it. And that didn't happen with Weibo, that didn't happen with WeChat, it didn't happen with all these other platforms, that smaller platforms that came about. So from that, that was a really strong indicator that uh, this would be a global hit. Yeah. Got it. What was your association with ByteDance or TikTok though? Was there I got any... no, no official association with them. I know people who work there. Uh, I've got a couple of really good friends who work there, who worked early on TikTok. Um, but, and, but having said that, the reception from ByteDance about the book from staff has been really good. Uh, I've had some very high level people reach out and say very nice things about the, the book. And so I was quite surprised uh, that they you know, got up to the high levels of, uh, of the company. And then also from the frontline staff, uh, many of them really like it. Some of them asked me for signed copies and uh, oh, we, nice. there, was a, there was a group that bought uh, 10 copies the other day, for, uh, reached out to me. So, um, and they're gonna give it out as prizes or something with, for, for, them, for their team. So um, that's, that's really encouraging because I think like there are, obviously they're hiring a lot of people around the world, right? Like, and um, most of those people are fully, completely unaware of anything that happened before TikTok. And, and so this book sort of plugs that gap quite nicely for them. Having said that, you know, it's not the reason why I, I would never expect ByteDance to promote this book or endorse it is because it's not a PR book, right? It's not, we tell the good part of ByteDance, but we also show the bad part, right? There's, it, it, we don't hold back from saying everything's nice and, and everything's perfect yeah. about this company. Uh, so a PR team would never, never be comfortable to embrace that. I feel, but um, you know, that's the book I wanted to write. I think that's the, you know, that's the way. Um, you know, I want to just present the the true picture. Really, is what's important to me. Sorry. Yeah, I was asking. Like, did you expect any kind of backlash uh, when you were writing this book? Like, you were thinking about like would it end up in uh, some kind of controversy or book getting banned or anything like that? Uh, it's possible because ByteDance has sued people before for saying uh, things about them that are true, but I, no, they don't want people to uh, to know, uh, or they uh, yeah. or they, they they say it's not. I don't know. Like I, I, it's happened to a friend of mine actually who was quite well, a couple of years ago, uh, who wrote a piece uh, through a Chinese on. It got translated into Chinese, and the Chinese media organization that put it out. I think they got. They got sued by ByteDance, I think, is what happened. Um, yeah, and they do have a reputation in China for doing that kind of stuff. So there was a small part of me that said, yeah, this, you know, you do need to be careful of what you write. But, you know, I think that's, that's healthy because with every book you do need to be, or any piece of content, really, you need to be writing stuff. You, you can't be making accusations. You can't be making stuff up. You can't be like, okay, this guy said something, so I'm just going to write that in the book and... and not check it so it forces you to be very rigorous around checking yeah. things and being conservative with what you're saying uh which is overall probably good makes sense um so i know that you've been looking into the tencent market and the china market for some time now right and then this certainly um took off the tiktok but um beside basically the global fame of the tiktok and the doing um what exactly inspired you to write this particular book and um, the biggest inspiration was the product itself, uh, was Douyin and, and, and TikTok, definitely. Having been a, a user of the platforms for several years, 
uh, and just seeing how compelling it is. And especially 2018, 2019, I was heavily using Douyin. I don't use it as much today, but uh, I'm start, you know, I use TikTok a, a bit still. And uh, um, I think they're just very, very, you know, these are the kinds of products that only happens every like five or 10 years. That really it's a, a special, you know, breakthrough uh, product that is once, you know, a really, really big game changer like WeChat, you know, I think in China over the, you've got so many great companies now coming out of China, internet companies, you've got Meituan, uh, you've got Pindodo, uh, you've got Alipay, obviously it's trying to just kind of almost went IPO, um, you know, <laughs> and there's a ton of bunch, bunch of others, but the really, really big breakthrough, like, you know, the, the, the best, best, best of the best products, there's only been two and that's WeChat and Douyin in my mind. They're on a level above everything else. So it was it was just the fact, the recognition from me like as a user that this is a product worth writing about. And, uh, and then obviously just seeing the need uh, for this kind of information because the, the, the things that people were saying about the platform, the analysis of, around it, I could see that there's just such a big knowledge gap right between what people were how people approach this and what they were saying in china which you know i follow all the chinese media so i read chinese and it's i, I for me that's where i get most of my information uh, and then the international press who just basically don't know anything about what happened before like 12 months ago pretty much uh, and 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 that's not because they're you know they're intelligent people and not so you know just criticizing them it's just there's there's nothing to read in english right? you can't you, unless you know people in china you can't find this yeah. information so or unless you know how to read chinese you can't find it so um you know just bridging that gap i think there was just such an obvious gap to you know obvious need for this kind of information absolutely and i think the um, the product is so addictive. Um, I have that installed on my phone and every time I open it, I know that basically I don't want to use it too much time, but then I end up watching or spending at least 20 to 25 minutes. And after 25 minutes, I regret that. Like, why did I spend so much time on it? So, yeah. What just happened? Yeah, 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 for sure. It does. That, that's exactly it. And, and when we started that, when people started talking about that in 2018, it was like really, people didn't really know what was going on. It was, it was kind of weird. Um, now, at least you, when it came to the rest of the world, at least we kind of had this, we sort of understood, we had a year basically in China where it was ahead of, of the rest of the world. And so there was time to digest it in China. Like what's actually going on here? Why is this so addictive? Um, <laughs> but having said that, there was a canary in the cage, a canary in the coal mine rather, like which was Totiao. Uh, and that's why we talk about Totiao mm -hmm. for most of the uh, first, third of the book, I would say it's mostly about Totiao. You really got to understand Totiao to understand why TikTok is so addictive. Um, but, you know, I remember doing our podcast about three years ago now, I think it's 2017, um, and we were covering Totiao and we had an analyst from Tencent on there who we were talking to. And uh, back then everyone was saying the strange thing about Totiao, which is the new, the original flagship product of, of ByteDance, which is a news aggregator, was that just the time spent on the platform was crazy. And it was just a, a statistic that was, I think it was like 70, the average user was spending like 70 minutes a day or something like that. Mm. Uh, but for, for, a, for a news aggregator, that was just crazy. I was like, what the yeah. hell? Like, it's just way <laughs> off the scale. Yeah. And, and people were like, is this real? Like, what, what is this? And it, we kind of 
uh, we discussed at the time and, and came to the conclusion that there was a lot of clickbait content, that there was a lot of, you know, just trashy uh, you know, videos and, and the sort of stuff that what they call in China lowbrow content was, was the reason why people, they sort of cracked this way of, of, of keep, keep feeding you clickbait uh, content of, of you know, memes <laughs> and stuff. Um, and, and we sort of dismissed the platform as being very trashy and the sort of thing that intelligent people, uh, sophisticated people, educated people would not want to use. Uh, and, and that's really the reputation that the company had up until Douyin. What, what's fascinating is, is like the, the bike dance before 2017 is completely different from the bike dance today. Like it's okay. just the transport, the company's completely transformed itself. Uh, it's unrecognizable. So I think for anyone who's familiar with this products and, and, and especially for the, I think that's why the employees like this book so much, the people who work at bike dance are like, Oh wow! Like this company, even two years ago, or from when I or when I joined, you know, a year before that, I didn't know all this stuff had happened, and like, this is actually where, where we came from. Because the company won't admit that, right? They're not going to come and say like, "Yeah, we were trashy, trashy memes," is what we were doing. Um, they sort of sanitize that history, which is fine. That's what that's what every company does. But um, you know, the, the the reality is really interesting, and I don't. I think it's something that's worth uh, delving into. You did mention in the book also, right? They were uh, having problem in hiring when they were this uh, trashy and they were having low brow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had a, at the beginning, they, they had real problems hiring engineers. Uh, they had real problems getting funding for Series B, which is quite a famous, probably the most famous VC story in, in China, uh, I would say, or one of the most famous, which is how Yuri Milner came to invest in them, a, a Russian outsider and how everyone pretty much every big name in BC uh, in, in the China space turned them down during seed stage and series A. And, you know, like those investments are, um, you know, SIG is the company that did, uh, um, that, that made, that backed them during series A and the, and, and the seed round. Those guys, yeah. did, when, when, it, when they do IPO, uh, it's going to be like 10 billion like that return on that investment, something like that is good. Pretty is up there with like all time best. Makes sense. Um, so Matt, um, as I mentioned, basically when I open the app, I spend a lot of time on that app, right? And one of the big two things about the TikTok is its algorithm. And um, before TikTok, there were other companies that came with a recommendation algorithm like YouTube. They were famous too, right? Mm. But uh, where the YouTube was and where the TikTok is actually a way different, right? Um, can you explain a little bit more about the algorithm that um, TikTok is using? I know that you have mentioned a bit about that in your book, but it will be good for the people who are listening and not read your book to a little bit know more about the algorithm. I mean, you can give a teaser actually so that you can go back <laughs> the book and read it. Yeah, sure. I mean, the algorithm is, uh, it's not one algorithm, it's hundreds, right? And it's constantly changing. The one of the reasons why we don't delve into it, into the book in very, very much detail is number one, it, you know, it's very technical and, and anyone non-technical will get very bored. Uh, number two, it's constantly changing. So anything I write will be out of date or risk being out of date. Even, you know, we, we, at the beginning, we talk a bit about how marketers in China game the algorithm and sort of the systems they use in order to do that. Um, which again, I, the stuff I put in there is fairly conservative. Uh, it's been effective for quite some time and it's sort of the very basics 101 on like how marketers uh, 
hack the algorithm, I guess you could say. Um, but there's so much more to it uh, because the it is it is quite you know it's a very complex. The thing is, it's not high tech, as in like they have an amazing they have some technology that other companies don't have, or they have some data scientist who's who's really amazing and, and they've got some knowledge that uh, Google doesn't know, etc. It's not that at all. It's it's just that it's a very complex system. It's hundreds of different algorithms optimized for different use cases and different scenarios uh, in order to surface the best content. One of the things, you know, that it's pretty good at, 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 at bringing you new content. It doesn't like to repeat too much. You'll notice that if you go on TikTok, um, that it will lock into something that you get that you're watching at the beginning just to okay basically it's like okay you like this type of video you like dogs okay great we're going to show you a bunch of dog videos at the beginning yeah. to get you hooked nightmare but uh, very you know once once you've once you're regularly logging in and you've got that sort of stable usage pattern now it's going to yeah. quickly start trying to shift out and trying to like expand out from that so one of the things i think it does best is actually broaching out from that and those initial categories into showing you other categories that are appropriate and testing that uh, efficiently and effectively. So that's, I, I think what it's, it's probably its greatest strength is, is being able to do that because without that, it just becomes really boring. Like it, even, even if you uh, love dog, uh, videos it's not going to be uh, it's not going to yeah. be enough and then the other thing is like the video classification and, and things like that i think is a whole area that's very interesting and, and equally important uh, and then the content operations is something that and it's certainly during the growth early growth stages uh was super important so i don't want to over index on the algorithm because i think people talk about it too much to be honest um it's important and it's effective, but I don't think it's anything that Google couldn't do. I don't think it's anything that Facebook couldn't do if they really put their mind to it. Um, it, it it's you know a combination of factors that makes TikTok successful, and the algorithm is very important, but it's just one. So on the on the basis of that TikTok success, I have a question about the other apps. Actually, you mentioned in your book also, like example, like Musically was. It seems like it was sitting on a gold mine for global dominance. Uh, for engagement and stuff like what do you think like music musically could have done differently than what uh, they have done and why yeah that's a that's a great question yeah uh that's a really great question uh because i i totally agree musically was sitting you know they kind of had looking back now i'm sure that alex drew and lewis young must be kicking themselves uh that they actually did have the opportunity to become the next facebook and didn't realize what is the to and be fair, we can't, we can't blame them too much uh, because nobody realized it. I think everyone was surprised by the effect that the uh, combination of uh, the musically experience plus the Toteo algorithms combined led to uh, such a great result and then amplify that with the ad spend. Uh, I think they could have been more bold to answer your question, what they could have done differently. Now, Musical.ly was relying on word of mouth in terms of for marketing almost entirely. I think in the later years, they did start spending, but certainly during the early and mid years, they spent basically zero on, on the, they, I think they, they, the founders have said that themselves, that we didn't spend anything on marketing, right? They didn't, they didn't buy any ads. Uh, they, they had an operations team. I guess you could argue that was marketing. I don't know. But um, 
Goodbye. That, that, I think going, I think going back, they would have taken more VC money and put put more behind it in terms of uh, uh, paid growth and and acquiring users through uh, the channels that TikTok did aggressively. Uh, and and uh, so that's definitely one thing. Uh, obviously, they regret not coming back into China earlier. That's another thing. It's quite interesting that they uh, originally they decided, well, they did try it in China, right? When they launched Musical.ly early on, they launched in China, they launched in the US and, and other markets and China completely failed. Uh, and it, it took off uh, eventually with Spike TV in, in the US. Um, but the, the founders have said themselves that they, they kind of felt that it shouldn't have worked in China because A, kids had too much homework, they didn't have free time, which is true. Uh, and also that Ch Asian people, well, Chinese people rather, um, are less creative when doing short video was another thing that they felt culturally uh, Chinese people weren't comfortable enough to do short videos. And that's actually true because mm -hmm. when you think about, it's actually kind of amazing, right? That you think about Musical.ly back in two, three years ago, um, it was really just viewed as a platform for kids. Uh, and, and it was only really teens and preteens who were comfortable enough to look at it, you know, to hold up their camera in front of them, hold yeah, up their phone absolutely. and like talk yeah. into it and do hand movements and things like that. Yeah. And everyone else was kind of looking at this and laughing at them going, those kids, like, they're, they're, you know, <laughs> this is a bit silly. Okay, I get it, but like, I'm not doing that. That's, that's weird. And, and when you look at the very first reviews of TikTok in the Western media, that's exactly what people are saying. They're like, adults who are doing goofy videos or adults who are lip syncing and I think that's just really weird and you'll never get me doing that and it's amazing to see how fast that changed right it literally oh, yeah. was that that's exactly what people were saying in 2018 and it took like maybe 18 months for that for that to, and there's influencers were you know all over it and people were um you know do what what was considered weird just 18 months earlier became normal but that is kind of true, right, Matt, though? Uh, if you look at the millennials, Gen Zs are kind of more comfortable in terms of creating yeah. those short videos, uh, like across it's, platforms. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, the great thing about kids is they don't have any uh, preconceptions, right? They don't have uh, yeah. uh, any history. They've got no habits. They look at everything yeah. fresh. Um, a really great example is my, my daughter, she uses voice. I'm actually, I'm very bearish on um, a voice, uh, like the Amazon Siri, Echo Alexa, things like yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All of these voice, uh, voice in general. I just think it's just a very. Uh, <laughs> I, I try to use it and I can't. And yeah. I'm like, this is. I think voice is a big thing because people want it to be a big thing, not because it actually works. Uh, same thing with chatbots. You know, we had this with WeChat like three, four years ago that people were started when Facebook said we're doing chatbots. Suddenly, chatbots became this huge thing uh, because people wanted it to be a huge thing, but. It, straight away you could see it just didn't work and nobody on WeChat was using chatbots and that's because they didn't work. Uh, but everyone was still talking about it anyway. But anyway, <laughs> the, the thing about voice, why I think is why I'm bringing this up is because my daughter like uses it very naturally. She'll just speak to the, in a way that I won't. She's just very happy to like, hey, da, 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 and just speak to it like a person. And so for me, that's a strong indicator that actually voice will be huge one day even though today i don't think it's going to be uh, today i think it doesn't work but uh, I, I set for some edge use cases 
uh, you know, I, I can't find a useful way to make voice fit into my schedule right now. Uh, but I'm confident <laughs> that one day it will be huge because of how my daughter's using it. I think I see the same thing yeah. here with musically. Uh, try with weather, start with weather, I would say. Hey, Alexa, <laughs> what's the weather outside? <laughs> yeah, I mean, all of this stuff, like ask them the time, like it's just easier to look at your wrist than ask the time. It's just a much slower thing. Like, ask the weather, I can just look out the window. Like it doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't save time for me at all. I have not opened the weather app for, um, I would say, months yeah. because I have Google Home and Alexa at home. And I, as soon as I get up from my bed, I'm like too lazy. I'm just saying, hey, uh, how's the weather looking like today? And I'll have my answer there. And especially like uh, like when I have to do my yard work a little bit, then I ask like, how's the weather looking for the week? So I know I'm planning my uh, stuff there. That's where the voice kind of helps me. Actually, like, I don't want to pick the phone up or uh, yeah. <laughs> stuff or some write something. Yeah. And, uh, it's doing pretty, it's getting better. And uh, Yeah, it's getting better. I mean, I'm not totally writing it off. I'm just saying it's not a game changer today, uh, but I'm confident it will be one day. Just my, my, my daughter, the way, I just see that there's an echo there of how my daughter's using it in a different way to I am. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. and, and therefore, like the same thing was happening with short video that teens and preteens were using this in a very different way to anyone even in their you know early 20s and and that was actually uh, a, a you know we should have we should have taken notice of that earlier you know as entrepreneurs or as as uh, as investors or as, t as tech giants whoever, whoever in the in the sort of stack of the ecosystem where you are like when that behavior when you see young people using the technology differently to people you know who are older than them that's a strong indicator that there's something big there i think oh yeah, so, uh, yeah. that's a great piece of advice actually like anyone yeah. who's listening to this podcast they should actually remember this one next time you want to get some ideas you want to invest somewhere do that what matt said yeah i mean uh, I just mean, to go a little off topic and come back to it but the, like facebook is a very big example of that like whenever it tries out some uh, new apps it actually tests the markets in uh, like Southeast Asian countries, mostly India. And mm -hmm. uh, it has been uh, known to use uh, these enterprise level applications by uh, serving it to teens and preteens and paying them uh, like 20 bucks a month uh, and then seeing how the uh, app reacts. It's more for information collection, but how they generally use different apps to see their habits. And then they make a lot of decisions based on that. It has been in the news for, they have been, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. 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 And then so, I think uh, also go ahead, go ahead. Matt has mentioned very, very uh, nicely in the book that um, sometimes you actually have to have a operations team like in China, like in general, in US, we do not have the operations yeah. team by the startups. When operations team in China is actually very much in, and then they actually work hard to iterate on the product, as you mentioned in the book, and until they nail it. Um, and that's what actually looks like happened with the doing also, right? Especially with yeah. the influencers, the initial adopters who were young. Absolutely. So, so Matt, it would be kind of unfair to talk about ByteDance without actually talking about Tencent. So mm, uh, sure, sure. a kind of question about, uh, like ByteDance kind of came from behind and uh, took a lot of Tencent's uh, market share. So what do you think that, do you think that uh, Tencent is kind of working on some kind of strategies to get back some of its market share? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think we cover in the book, the direct conflict with Tencent and ByteDance over short video. And yeah. 
I don't think there's been any major developments since we finished writing since what I put in the book. You know, it's it's stayed quite stable in terms of the dynamics in that market between the two companies, uh, and I think you we've seen the same thing play out with Fa we are seeing the same thing play out with Facebook and TikTok, where yeah. Facebook will have a very tough time uh, building something that can take over uh, and and lead the market. They will have their share of the market. It will be a small share of the market. Uh, I'm confident they can build something that can. Uh, be in the mix, but uh, they're not going to, and unless TikTok gets banned outright or there has to be a sale or something, some political or regulatory reason, uh, in terms of competitive dynamics, they won't be able to, to beat TikTok uh, in this, for the same reasons that uh, Tencent could not beat TikTok, uh, could not beat Douyin rather. Um, but I think uh, what's interesting today in the China market around Tencent and ByteDance is that ByteDance has grown into this new giant, this new B in the BAT, let's say, and we've, re we've returned back to there being a three-player dynamic um, in China. We like three yeah. kingdoms, if you know the uh, Chinese uh, history. Um, before there was just two kingdoms. Well, there used to be three. There was ba Baidu was in the mix during the desktop yeah, yeah. era. Uh, it, it, even recently, as recent as um, 2011, ByteDance was actually, by market valuation, the largest internet company in China, right? So nine years ago, it was number one. Uh, today, it's a mid-level player, I would say. And we've, we've, we were, for a long period, just having these two giants. But now we've got this third. So this third guy's coming up. And yeah, uh, they, they're, they're very ambitious. They're moving both into e-commerce, which is enroaching on Alibaba's territory quite clearly. <laughs> and at yeah. the same time, moving into gaming, which is Tencent's territory. So they're, they're basically, you know, not trying to, there was a period where we felt that um, even maybe 18 months ago, where many people were saying that ByteDance was clearly competing with Tencent, but maybe they could be friends with Alibaba. Maybe there wasn't a conflict there. Mm -hmm. Now that's changed completely. Like they've gone, they're, they're complete, they're going for everything. Uh, so <laughs> um, yeah. with, with gaming, I think there's a very interesting dynamic around gaming because gaming in China is more lucrative than the rest of the world. In terms of all internet services, it's a much larger slice of the pie. Um, so that's why you know, for Tencent, it's made so much sense to focus on gaming uh, in China so much. Um, but Tencent wasn't always good at gaming. In fact, if you go back to the time when they IPO'd around 2004, uh, they were actually just getting into gaming and they could only really do casual gaming and they weren't really doing hardcore gaming very well. Um, and they had to learn that over a couple of years consistently trying to do this and they failed and, and eventually they worked out how to do it. Uh, you know, they acquired Riot Games in America, uh, League of Legends and all that, and, and eventually Honor of Kings, etc. Like they, they moved fully into uh, doing hardcore gaming. But I, th I think ByteDance is following a similar pattern. I think history is repeating itself. And the reason why Tencent could, you know, back in 2003 or 2002, you know, Tencent was a small player in gaming and companies like Shandar and companies like NetEase were much, much bigger. But Tencent eventually, you know, step by step overtook these companies uh, and grew and grew because they had one unfair advantage and that was traffic. 
because yeah. of the social networks, the user acquisition cost for them was zero or close to zero a lot of the time, whereas their competitors had to pay to acquire users. Now that's a pretty, pretty amazing advantage to have. Um, and ByteDance has the same advantage. You know, through Douyin today in the China market, they can acquire users for casual games and pay nothing. And they can do it at scale because there's so much time being spent in Douyin now. And this is exactly what we're going to see them do with TikTok, I believe. You know, this is if we're looking at where TikTok's going to go and where ByteDance is going to go globally, uh, one of the things I expect them to do is what they've done in China and what every Chinese company's done in China is when you have the traffic, you allocate a sizable portion of your ad inventory to drive and acquire users for your own family of products. And so there's so many ByteDance apps in China that for sure they're going to flip out a bunch of them uh, they've already done it with lark right so lark is facial yeah. in china and there's lark outside so they're direct equivalents but there, there should be more in the future i feel and um i don't think they're doing it now because of the political risk i think they're for them they're actually shutting down the smaller apps because they they feel it's uh they're not you know, they're not making meaningful contributions to revenue, but they might cause them a political issue because they're all content platforms. Yeah. So things like Top Buzz uh, and News Republic, which are both content apps, are high risk but low reward for them. So, um, but once, well, I think once things settle down, we'll see them do this. Um, in, in China, you know, this is exactly what they're trying to do now with games is that they're acquiring users, but it only works for them with casual games at the moment, which they've been very successful in, which is exactly what Tencent was back in, in the early days as well. Uh, and they're trying to break into hardcore games, but that's a longer play. That's going to take three to five years, I feel. Um, but when they do that, and I think they will, if, if they're persistent, they'll be able to snatch, uh, because gaming is a little bit volatile, right? You do get games yeah. every so often that come out from small studios that become big hits suddenly. You know, we've yep. seen it with uh, Among Us recently, right? Um, that's more of a casual game, I think, but like um, uh, PUBG is also from Blue Hole, a really good example oh, yeah. a few years ago. So, um, you know, th that, that studio is a very small studio relatively and, um, Tencent swooped in and, and got the rights for that for China. But if that history was to repeat itself today, you might well see ByteDance swoop in and pay double, you know, just to get that one hit to, to kick things off. Uh, and then once they've got that one hit and they, they give it a lot of traffic and, and so it's definitely it's going to succeed no matter what. Now they can go to other studios and say, look what we did with this title uh, and there's become a serious player with gaming. Uh, I, I think that's probably what's going to happen, but we'll have to see. So it's very interesting, basically, the, now uh, getting into the rivalry of the ByteDance and then Tencent. And what we see is that the Tencent has, and the WeChat, there is the concept of the mini apps. And mm -hmm. the overall adoption of the technology in the China is a little different or minor difference from the US. So based on the fortune that you have actually a lot of experience in the China market, right, and studying that, so overall, broadly, what are the different similarities and differences that you see between the US and the China market in terms of the technology adoption? Um, yeah, it's, there's, the, the, the infrastructure is very different. So 
in, China, in, in, in the Silicon Valley, the advertisement infrastructure is very far, far more developed than China. Uh, so today it's catching up, especially ByteDance is the one company that's catching up fastest, but Tencent's also improved their offering because of ByteDance. Um, but traditionally, if we go back for the last 15 years in China, uh, the advertisements has been way behind Silicon Valley. So if you're a marketer in China, it's, Western marketers come in and they come to our conference, you know, from abroad and it's like, okay, how do we do marketing in China? And they're like, they can't believe, like, what? Like, <laughs> where's the ad targeting? You can't, what? You, like, you have to work with influencers. Like, uh, so that's why influencer marketing is, is more developed in China because the big platforms are all, you know, closed ecosystems, uh, walled gardens. They don't want you to acquire their users. Right? They, um, they want content, they want, uh, you know, they want influencers or KOLs in China and things like that, but they, they want to keep you in their, in their garden and they're very, very protective about uh, opening up data, opening up APIs for people to access, all that stuff is, they're far, far more conservative. Whether in China, they're much more about monetization through e-commerce is far more developed uh, and gaming, as we, as we mentioned earlier, is much more important uh, and a large more lucrative basically um, so in terms of structurally where the money where, where these companies make their money it's very different Silicon Valley is very very ad driven and China be more e-commerce and gaming driven but that's makes sense actually because for Silicon Valley they are global companies right so Google needs to make money in uh, Korea they need to make money in Egypt they need to make money in Argentina so yeah. Advertisement is the best way to do that because you're monetizing from the businesses, not the consumers. Uh, E-commerce doing that globally is, is, is going to be really tricky. Uh, whereas in China, the Chinese companies are just focusing on one very, very large market. And so for them, payments in e-commerce makes so much more sense because you only need to go through the regulation once and, get, and yeah. get it to work. And they've got it to work and they've got the regulation in place and they've um, there is some conflict there. It's not, um, as we found out with the IPO recently, uh, it's not all. It's not as easy as uh, even if it, for Chinese companies, uh, they still have to work with uh, the uh, the banks and and uh, people like Union Pay, and it's tough for them. But they they did work it out. They have they've been successful. So for them, they can get people to make transactions on their platform. That makes uh, a lot of sense. And then the infrastructure in terms of logistics, China. Uh, in the past 10 years has gone from being very bad to being the best in the world by far. So you can ship packages across China, super cheap, super fast, very reliable, low shrinkage rates. Uh, you can track it on your app, see exactly where it is, um, yeah. all of this stuff. And, and then like people, just no matter where you can pick up packages, there's always like pick up spots everywhere. And then Chinese all live in flats, in apartments. So it's just very easy for distribution. All of this stuff means that e-commerce can be so much more important in China than you see in other markets. So there's, there's reasons why things are so structurally different in different markets. So for like, for WeChat, it makes total sense to do mini programs uh, and to put a lot of effort into it because they have the payments and e-commerce is super developed so they know that that's going to be an interesting and lucrative thing to do um, whereas facebook to do it okay they they don't have the payments but at least facebook themselves don't have the payments 
they have to work with a partner to do that and they have to do it differently for every market that they're in and then the same thing with logistics for e-commerce infrastructure they're not amazon where they have their own fulfillment centers they're relying on third parties and in china you can rely on third parties because there's so many of them and they're so cheap but in other markets around the world uh, you know you shipping is far more expensive it's unreliable people you know aren't very confident doing it and so that you know the, the, these, these are the but, fundamental uh, but, reasons why these uh, markets man, are so different but uh, but man facebook and instagram are actually moving towards that i mean they are, the yes. whole thing is based on yes. social commerce right now they they are oh, yeah totally they're banking on that do you think that they, they actually are learning these concepts from the chinese ecosystem or uh, this yeah, is oh, just for sure. the I mean, natural no, you're right. I mean, they're moving in. They're trying it. Of course, they have to. They have to. But I'm just yeah. saying, why? Why is there such a big gap, right? It's it's down to these. It's not because Facebook's, you know, doesn't know what's happening in China or doesn't care or like just uh, they they're too arrogant to do whatever. Like there's some media articles that come out saying, you know, like Facebook's doesn't know what they're doing and stuff. It's ridiculous. <laughs> like these guys yeah. know exactly what they're doing, right? Um, exactly. They, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're not, they're no, they're no dummies and um, they're doing what's best for them. And up until now, that's been advertisement and that's been the right thing to do. Uh, but yeah, they need to look for other areas of growth and maybe with, especially with COVID-19, now is the time to push that, I feel. It's got to be. You, you can't make e-commerce work in an environment where people, <laughs> everyone's in their houses. When are you going to make yeah. it work? <laughs> Um, so for them, this is the right time. They should be doing it. And arguably they should have been doing it earlier. Um, you know, there are, we all know what the problems are with advertisement and sort of negative effects around that socially. And, and I think that's so much has been written around that. Um, but with, uh, with e-commerce, yeah, there are some benefits in terms of like you're, you're monetizing directly from the user. So that sort of, that means that usually leads to better alignment of the user experience with the platform's incentives, typically. Um, certainly that's been something that people have picked up with WeChat is that WeChat is very protective with user experience. And um, that, I think that is true. I think Alan Jung is, is quite, uh, quite a special character and builds WeChat for himself. Uh, as much as anyone else uh, and uh, so they they have done a good job there i think of uh, from a user perspective i'm very happy that alan jung is the guy running wechat in china because if it was an alibaba owned app um, it would be quite different or a baidu <laughs> app or like a facebook app this would be a very i look at other messaging apps uh, you know i recently i have been using line from japan and they actually put advertisements directly in the inbox for the messenger. And I find it just crazy. I, I can't <laughs> imagine like just such a disruptive <laughs> user experience um, that you would never see in China. So Matt, uh, the, that brings me to the next question of, uh, if you have the crystal ball and that you can look 10 years from now, what do you think like where the China internet market would be? And would, would we see more TikTok like companies, globally dominating companies coming out from China or this was just one off. Yeah. Um, 10 years out is really, you can't say, I mean, like, but you could, I think you could say three years out. I mean, three to, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, definitely the, you know, we can be very positive around China uh, and um, internet services in general. 
Um, they've already caught up in many areas with, with Silicon Valley, and I believe they will, even more areas, they will, they will get further ahead. You don't have to believe that China will, is more innovative or they know how to uh, be more creative or anything like that, or that they're more intelligent or harder working. They are harder working. I think that's quite clear, but like, you don't even have to believe that's true. Um, you only have to believe that they can, the average Chinese company or worker in tech can be as productive as the average in America. And then the yeah. sheer scale of the market itself is, means that they will absolutely dominate. Um, so, you know, there's, there's lots of debates over like which one's more creative or innovative. I don't think that you just need to believe they're roughly the same. Uh, and uh, China absolutely will be number one because it's just far larger. Um, the, but that will take many years to play out. They're, they're still way behind in many areas of like hardcore uh, foundational technology as, as Huawei's finding out, you know, that when, with their microprocessors and microchips and things like that, where China's really neglected that, that fundamental research, um, but is catching up and will, uh, you know, they, they will get, they will uh, find their way to do it. Um, but I think overall, with Chinese companies, we can be pretty optimistic. What's the next wave? Um, right now, this year, the big thing's been uh, for, for internet services has been live stream e-commerce. I'm less bullish on that one. I think it's been overhyped. I think we're in a bit of a lull right now, uh, essentially, where uh, we've gone through a period of rapid innovation and change in the Chinese market over the last um, since 2013, I would say, well, arguably, no, you could say the whole of the last decade was just pretty incredible, actually, <laughs> thinking about it. Um, if you, if, honestly, if you go back 10 years and look at China internet 10 years ago, it is unbelievable how, how, how much it's changed. Um, so I think we've gone through this decade of huge change. We're right now slowing down and that's fine, but uh, we, we really need to wait for some fundamental breakthrough to happen again. Um, the Chinese, you know, when, when mobile started with the iPhone, they were so behind America and they caught up eventually by the end of it, but it's a little bit lit too late where all of the low hanging fruit had already gone to American companies. Um, when we start the new platform, uh, something like, you know, whether it's uh, voice or whether it's AR or VR, um, something like that, then, and, and Chinese companies start on day one on a level playing field with American companies or, you know, fairly level playing field, I think you're going to see how, how much faster they are and how, how much yeah. stronger they are at iterating compared to the American giants. And they're really just going to stream away. I mean, if you, if you go back to like, if America and China had been on the same level during 2007, for example, there's no way WhatsApp would be an American company, for example, like it would absolutely, the Chinese would have all jumped on that and yeah. built all that. So Facebook would have been in China, um, you know, all of the key apps and, and uh, e-commerce things and things like that would, or Uber and all of that lot would have come from China. They were just too far behind at the time, but now they're, they're kind of level. So. Yeah, we'll have to see for the next big thing. Uh, personally, I'm very excited about um, uh, about um, AR and VR. I think that's uh, <laughs> that's going to be, you know, what yeah. Snapchat's doing is really cool. I, I really like it. I think um, they're probably one of my favorite or maybe my favorite American company is yeah. Snapchat and, and what they do around that. 
I think let's oh, yeah. lately their stock has been clearing up actually. The uh, stock is going really good. <laughs> Snapchat. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. And, and Tencent yeah. invested in them at the right time, you know, when they really invested them at, when Tencent invested in them, everyone was saying, why, why they, you know, that's not a good deal. And uh, they've wasted their money. That was what media was saying. Mm -hmm. uh, but they were, I, I remember at the time, uh, Martin Liao, Ma Martin Liao was saying, you know, we think this is a very attractive price for this company. Company and uh, we we believe in we believe in the founder very strongly, uh, and I, th I think there's you know there's there's echoes. Uh, Evan Spiegel and Alan Jung are quite similar in many ways. Yeah, I, I think uh, I believe that uh, Evan Spiegel can still do still has a lot to come, and I think his his best years are ahead of him in terms of yeah. innovation and bring new things. Absolutely, yeah. Personally, I like uh, Snapchat, uh, especially like uh, what I have seen. I mean, I might be wrong on certain things there. No, the, the face filters. I mean, they're, they're, uh, they have always been innovative. They have always come oh. out with something new rather than yeah. like the rest of the companies I've seen, they have been catching up or copying other other ecosystems. But Snapchat is always trying to be the ahead of the curve and they are doing something like which has no one has kind of done before. And I think... Yeah, yeah. yeah. TikTok takes basically things um, they Snapchat as a friend, not a not enemy, because I think what they are getting into is actually a little different from what TikTok uh, wants to do, which is more of entertainment, right? And I think uh, yeah, know, that's yeah, yeah, that's what Evan said uh, when he got the pyramid pyramid uh, conception of them being about communication, which is a fundamental. I need to speak to my friends and connect which is very different from being entertained which is what tiktok is about oh uh, you know tiktok will probably say we're not just entertainment we're also edu <laughs> education right is oh, the now, big yeah. for them. now uh, they could yeah edutalk mm. is uh it's been a big drive <laughs> for them but uh those those are very different needs it's undeniable um having said that you know um you know, the, you could also argue that they do compete still, I guess. But uh, I, I tend to go along with Evan. I think it's right. Like the reason you open these apps is very. You need to understand the psychology of why somebody opens your app. You know, why? Why do they put tap that button? What is the the driving them? What What are they looking for? If you really understand that, uh, I think that's why. I think Evan does. That's why he's saying. You know, like these are. We don't compete. These are very different reasons. We fulfill very different uh, human needs. So, uh, Matt, uh, a question since we are on uh, TikTok, but uh, I wanted to get your views on what do you think about the controversy surrounding TikTok in the global markets, not uh, China, of course, but is it uh, is spying a real concern or uh, it's more uh, political? I mean, it's definitely a political. <laughs> Probably <laughs> a risk, shall we say? Um, yeah. It's quite amazing to see how some people say stubborn, but I would say yeah. how bold uh, Jung Yimin's been, and how persistent he's been in his vision of the company being global and taking a calculated risk to you know to not sell and to persist with this deal that they seems to be happening in America. Although to be honest, I have no faith that you know it won't just completely change again um, at some point. But it seems they are shooting for a deal that does involve Oracle and Walmart as of uh, as of the time that we are speaking. And 
with that deal involving ByteDance retaining a majority ownership of, of the TikTok uh, entity in North America. So that's a pretty, um, you know, that's, that's a, actually a pretty good deal uh, for them, I think. And one where, um, you know, they can, he can still maintain his vision of building a, you know, a global company, maybe one that needs to be two, but one that where they still own most of what that company is. Um, but in, in markets like India uh, or markets like yeah. you know, Pakistan or uh, Indonesia, yeah. where they've also been banned, uh, I think th these are very clearly just, you know, much more just political risks that are quite volatile. I expect them to be more of them. And this is the risk of being a content platform. They've also faced risk in their local market, right, where they had uh, Nehan Danza was banned. Uh, they had to, in 2018, the government clamped down on them. I don't, I don't see that risk going away. I think that's going to be actually more and more because the internet will splinter up. Uh, regulation will become more and more across markets. And I think we're going to see more and more that the experience of using the internet, maybe right now we're in a golden era. We might look back on this in five to 10 years and be like, wow, you know, everything was so open and we all use the same tools and platforms. Uh, because I could easily see a future where the internet becomes uh, very balkanized around countries. Once countries realize that they can control the internet, uh, you know, once India bans and bans, you know, TikTok, then <laughs> yeah. Pakistan can also pass. Oh, we can ban it. Great. And then the next country will go, well, we can do that too. And so once these, pre once these examples have been set, uh, we're going to see that people, well, countries use them more and more. And so, yeah, I, I don't think it's a good trend. Uh, I, I think it's great that the internet is open. It's a unifying force for humanity. I think it's really helped accelerate uh, bringing us all together um, to have these platforms. But it is also undeniable at the same time that it's mostly benefited American companies. Uh, those are the big you know, companies that have, have really benefited most from global internet in terms of business. Uh, and it does have negative effects in terms of when, it, when it comes to content, it has negative effects, um, which sometimes the platforms don't control as well as they could. And in those cases, it's quite reasonable that countries would want to regulate. But I don't have any answers for like what ByteDance should do. I don't you know, like it's not easy. There's, there's no, I think they actually handle it quite well, to be honest. So I mean that brings to a good uh, into like we know what happened in tic with TikTok uh, in US uh, and especially when it got banned in India. I think it probably influenced Trump to actually take some actions on TikTok uh, in US. So let's skip forward to the Biden winning the election, uh, president elect. How do you think that's going to impact the future of ByteDance? Like, uh, would would, the, would there be what's your take um, on actually? I, well, I think it's pro overall probably a good thing uh, because it's he's less volatile than Trump and Trump was clearly using TikTok as a whipping boy uh, for his own gains. And that I don't see Biden doing that as much. But the, having said that, it's quite clearly that whether it's Democrat or Republic in America, both of them are very anti-China these days. 
and I don't expect there to be a change of heart from Washington DC regarding Chinese internet companies, regardless of who's in the White House. And so I don't see it changing that much. It's a small plus. What was yeah. the reaction in China actually? Like, were people were loving when Biden uh, won the election or any uh, insight from that? Yeah, do you know what? A lot of Chinese actually do like Trump. They kind of respect his uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. brashness and arrogance. And they kind of like a success story around someone who's rich and not flaunts that. Not they, they, they kind of like the strong man. He's kind of a strong man in some respects. Mm -hmm. And certainly, having said that, I don't think many Chinese have a nuanced understanding of American politics. And they, oh, they're sort of funny. looking at this from afar and they just see that, you know, this guy has a personality and does interesting things. And they like that, I think, is more, yeah. uh, more than anything, uh, rather than thinking it's about It's not just China. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, he is news. <laughs> People love talking. One thing he's really good at is getting people to talk about him and to think about him a lot and uh, mention him and keep him top of mind. And so, you know, if, if you don't have any investment in what happens, you know, at least it makes it more interesting and fun, I guess you could argue that. But obviously, many Americans would disagree. And uh, I think overall, probably the government probably also feels that Biden's more... Uh, predictable, let's say, or less less volatile, it's and so it could less also be a good, yeah. could be a good thing for uh, stabilizing the, the relationship there. Absolutely, I think that brings to one of the last topics to um, on this particular podcast. Um, I think we are fortunate that we have also the two co-hosts, um, Preet and Shashank, who are the founders of the Flix, and um, I don't know uh, which is basically the uh, streaming recommendation app. And um, Matt, I don't know whether you got a chance to look into the uh, website or the app or not, but I wanted to basically take your suggestion that you have for the Preet and Shashank about uh, the ODT and streaming market or, and the future of that. And then how, what suggestion you have about the Flix app itself. Just to add, just to add on that is like uh, Flix is uh, trying to do like, uh, we are not just a streaming recommendation app. We are also trying to become uh, like a social network. So like, just like every TikTok or any other is like, and we want to mm. merge the, the two because OTD, the streaming content is all digital and social network has been kind of uh, like, we see that as a very good a uh, huge gap. Yeah. intersection where we can actually make a really big, huge impact in the world. Because logically, yeah. if you think about it, you ask your friends and families for movie recommendations, shows recommendations, hey guys, tell me something interesting to watch. So it seems like just a natural fit for, uh, for a social recommendation app that powers, mm. is powered by your social recommendations, essentially. Mm. Well, what we learned from, if I got the books content top of mind, so one of the lessons from the book is that we've kind of conflated, I feel, social networks, uh, the social graph and the interest graph. And people feel that the social graph is the thing that's important. I feel the interest graph is actually more, more valuable and easier to monetize mm. and can be just as powerful as the social uh, graph when you're doing a content-based application. Um, Interesting. That's one of the lessons from, from ByteDance is that that's why people were less optimistic about them in the early days is because they didn't have social element 
um, they were all about just uh, building an interest graph, uh, tagging users based on, on interest with no social interactions beyond commenting and likes. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, having said that, you know, uh, social applications like Facebook and Twitter obviously use, use that technology as well to, to, to curate the feeds that they provide people quite heavily, much more than people realize. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just black and white in terms of those two opposites. Um, but I think one of the critical things that TikTok has, has, uh, has, has allowed us to see is that you need this sort of feedback loop, right? Like you need to be able to, what makes TikTok so powerful? One of the things is that there's this very fast TikTok, uh, feedback loop in terms of compared to say Netflix um, or yeah. in China, Tencent video, where you can watch a video for 45 minutes and not touch the screen once. They're not getting any kind of data around you uh, from you until yeah. you finish watching the episode and then have to do something. Whereas TikTok every minute, even when you don't do something, that's a strong indicator for them that you actually enjoy the content. So even by not doing something, you're still training the algorithm mm -hmm. and you're, you're tapping the screen, you know, multiple times a minute. And all of these are meaningful interactions. So it's getting a really fast feedback loop. I see you guys, I did check out the video for the app uh, briefly before. Like you've got like a Tinder mode, I think in there, right? Uh, for like clicking through um, different uh, different suggestions of, of TV series. Yeah, right. And so that's the kind of like fast interaction. Like Tinder is actually another good example of like of that where you're, you're, you, you have to make a choice. Uh, yeah. You can't just do nothing. And those choices are quite fast. And so there's lots and lots of feedback coming in, which is helping tag, tag that user and enrich that user profile. Uh, and then you can create something really powerful. Um, so to me, that, that Tinder mode looked quite, quite good, actually. I thought, oh, this is, this is, uh, this is something that could be interesting. Yeah. Because uh, that's, for me, I'm, recently I've been thinking about how to do this type of thing for audio. Uh, there's, a, there's many yeah. people trying to solve this problem for short audio clip uh, mm -hmm. and how to create TikTok for podcasts, essentially. <laughs> but it's very difficult because there's yeah. no feedback loop. Pa audio is too passive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've been talking about that too. <laughs> yeah, it's too passive. There's the, if you can crack yeah. the feedback loop, if there's a yeah. way for the user to give, to indicate their preferences you know, every minute, by you know saying a keyword or tapping something, I don't know. I I, I can't work it out. But it, without that one element, it, it doesn't work. Cool. And it, here you've got the same problem because yeah. the content on Netflix is quite long. You know you're yeah. talking long form content, right? So how do you get that fast feedback loop? Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. So this is a very interesting conversation we had all together. So I would say this brings us to the end of this podcast. We have been going more than an hour now. Uh, <laughs> uh, we would definitely like to thank uh, Matthew Brennan uh, for his uh, amazing insights, especially about the te China technology and his global uh, like impact. And I'm sure our listeners are going to enjoy listening to this podcast as much as we enjoyed talking to you. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and don't Absolutely. forget to actually buy uh, the attention factory on Amazon. I think it's an amazing book. Everyone should yeah. buy. It. <laughs> yeah, you can get it on Amazon, uh, paperback yeah. and Kindle, and we're doing the Audible version soon. Uh, so I'll be in the studio for a couple of days doing that. 
Uh, but that probably won't be out till Christmas around that, I would say. Maybe early, I don't know. We'll have to see. Um, and we'll, we'll, we're starting to get a uh, process to get it translated into some other languages, but that will that'll be next year as well. So uh, for now, awesome. it's just uh, on, on Amazon. That's the place to get it. And uh, yeah, check it out. Hope you enjoy. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much, Matt, for uh, coming. And guys, if again, if you like this chat, please uh, subscribe to our channels, techlgtm.com. And also we are available on all major podcasts and also on YouTube. And if you have any questions that you want to ask, we'll be happy to relay it to Matt or Matt, if you want to drop in your uh, email address, if somebody wants to throw in a question, if you are willing to, if that's not uh, invading your... Uh, yeah, that's, that's fine. Um, yeah, and you can catch me on Twitter or LinkedIn. Those are the platforms to where I post content, basically. We'll, we'll so, tag and we will, uh, yeah, we will definitely add uh, your uh, social media links to our episode cool. so that people can check you out. And uh, Good stuff. I, I think um, you also have a podcast, right? So I just subscribed yesterday, so I'm going to catch up on that. Like, pretty interesting topics you have on your podcast. So people, if you're interested want to uh, subscribe to more podcasts, I definitely will recommend Matthew's uh, po podcast. Yeah, sounds yeah. Like, uh, very interesting. I was also looking into the, your podcast. Yeah, I think it's called China Tech Talk. Yeah, we haven't done one for a while because uh, my co-host went to a different media, uh, but there's a whole backlog on there as well. Like uh, some of the stuff I covered like about we did many episodes back in the day around bike dance related topics. Mm -hmm. So you can actually go and listen to what we were talking about two years ago, three years ago and all of that stuff and see yeah. like on the, it really was, uh, it's quite amazing that journey, I think it's awesome. um, to, to hear. And there's lots, we covered lots about WeChat as well on there and Tencent.